Tere, and welcome to History of Estonia podcast, episode 25, The Abolition of Serfdom. I am your host, William Parsley, and if you're just joining us, we are moving along the timeline of Estonian history from the perspective of the book, History of Estonia. With Estonia's connections to Germany and the rest of Europe because of trade, the plight of the peasants in Livonia began to seem unjust compared to their counterparts in the rest of Europe. So in this episode, we start to see how it all unfolded. Early Symptoms of Crisis in the Manor Economy Until the late 18th century, Baltic landlords were not very interested in economic innovations. Prices of grain were still high, and Russia's internal provinces remained a strong market. The first symptoms of crisis appeared as late as the end of the 18th century, when consumption by landlords began exceeding the economic capacity of the manors. Relations with Germany brought about the attempts to raise living standards. However, that required significantly higher expenditures due to the poor circumstances in the Baltic region. In the late 18th century, magnificent manors with parks and ponds were built instead of wooden buildings. More expensive and exotic foods appeared on tables. Foreign wines replaced beer. However, the obsolete manor economy could no longer cover such expenses. This forced many landlords to borrow more and more money. To cover the debts, production was increased. The landlords tried to do this the old-fashioned way, by increased tillage and peasant's duties. It became more and more evident that this was not the solution to the crisis. In the late 18th century, groups of landlords in both Estonia and Latvia started to look for a way out of the developing crisis. However, a discussion on the issue of the peasantry at the 1795 Diet of the Estonian nobility failed. The majority of landlords still opposed any reforms. The unjust situation of the peasantry in the Baltic provinces also diminished the prestige of the Russian Empire in Europe. Due to the greater openness of the Baltic region, local agricultural relations were more visible to Europe than the lives of Russian peasants, which were not any better than their counterparts in Estonia and Livonia. Democratically disposed intellectuals also contributed much to the introduction of agricultural conditions in the Baltic region. Garlieb Merkel described the economic and legal situation of the Livonian peasants in his book, Latvians, especially in Livonia, at the end of the philosophical century, published in Germany in 1796. His straightforward and open style deeply impressed European readers. Johann Christoph Petri was also sharply critical towards serfdom in his book, Estonian and the Estonians, in 1802. Tsar Alexander I, who reigned from 1801 to 1825, was ready to change the social and economic situation in the Baltic countries. Reforms in this region would in no way affect the interest of landlords in Russia proper. In order to apply pressure on landlords, the central authority used its position in granting out loans to the nobility, who were being crushed by debts. 
Alexander I hinted to Jacob von Berg, a ranking official of the Estonian nobility, that acquiring a loan would involve the state peasantry. The Agrarian Reform Laws of 1802 and 1804 At the 1802 Diet of the Estonian nobility, under the economic and political pressure from central authorities, the regulation of the peasantry proposed by von Berg was adopted without any significant disputes. In historical literature, the regulations are called, quote, everybody, after the first word in the Estonian text. The most important aspect of the law was the establishment of hereditary rights to farms. This meant that when a peasant had fulfilled his duties to the landlord, the latter could be evicted from his family home and the farm was passed down to the sons in case of the farmer's death. In Livonia, a similar law was passed in 1804. Besides the hereditary rights to farms, the Livonian law also provided a standardization of statute labor. For example, by harmonizing it with the farm's economic capacity. For this purpose, farmlands needed to be properly measured and its yield to be accurately estimated, establishing the amount of labor that could not be changed at a landlord's whim. It was also prohibited to sell or expropriate peasants. The landlord's right to punish peasants was restricted to two days incarceration, or 15 lashes, while farm owners were deprived of that. In 1804, the demand of fixing duties to the manor was also enforced in Estonia. However, the agrarian reform law in Estonia did not foresee a measurement and estimation process. Although peasants in Estonia and Livonia were still serfs, the relations between the manors and peasantry became more regulated. The hereditary rights to farms and the right to ungrounded property aroused a lasting interest by peasants to increase their wealth. Parish courts, where peasants themselves were judges, were established in Estonia and Livonia. Although the parish courts of those times remained under the control of the landlord, the establishment of such courts contributed greatly to the rise of self-esteem and a sense of justice among the peasants. This was the first step towards the establishment of self-governance by peasants. The regulation of 1804 did not satisfy either side. Landlords felt that the laws were too binding on them, while the peasantry expected more, especially in the reduction of manor duties. It was rumored that the landlords had concealed the real law and had published a fake. In the autumn of 1805, unrest spread from Livonia to Estonia, as the agrarian reform law in Estonia was much more conservative to that of Livonia. The peasants felt that the landlords did them an injustice. Due to the growing unrest in manners, the landlords requested help from the military. Units were sent to calm the peasants. A major incident broke out in Kose Uemoise in Haryu region. The local landlord, von Rosen, was frightened as rumors spread that the peasants wanted to murder him in order to be admitted to the imperial court to reclaim their right there. The peasants gathered 
in the manor and killed a captain of the Russian unit that was sent there for assistance. There were also casualties on the peasants' side. Only after reinforcements arrived with guns did the peasants return to work for the manor again. Although the Napoleonic Wars did not touch Estonia directly, the events of the Baltic Sea created a stir in the coastal areas. In May of 1801, famous British Admiral Horatio Nelson made a raid with his squadron upon Tallinn. During the next few years, British warships moved in Estonian coastal waters, seizing fishing boats and merchant ships, often in demand of food, water, cattle, and more from coastal residents. On Hiuma, there was even an attempt to form a local defense force among the peasantry, but the central government did not allow it. In August to September of 1809, British warships alongside Swedish allies blockaded the Russian Navy for several weeks at the port of Paldiski. In 1812, Napoleonic troops, the Corps under Marshal MacDonald, invaded Koronia. Though the drive ceased near Riga, Estonia remained outside of the immediate area of conflict. For Estonia, the war brought about additional duties. Constant military activity demanded more and more men. Conscripts. In Estonia, regular conscription started in 1797. In 1812, men were called up three times. In 1807, a home defense of land militia was formed to support the regular army. The unit of K. von Neuroth was formed in Tartu in 1812, which pushed as far as the outskirts of Paris in its campaign. In the Russian-French conflict of 1812, many leading posts were filled by bolts, such as the Russian Minister of War at the time of the, and later General Field Marshal, Michael Andreas Barclay de Tolly. During the war, the economic depression deepened due to the extraordinary obligations, accommodating troops and their provisioning, duty of compulsory conveyance, and etc., Russia's association to the continental blockade, which caused a slump in grain prices, and the crop failure and famine that affected Estonia in 1806-1808. The continuous pressure of the central government to the nobility was partly due to ideological considerations. Napoleon had abolished serfdom, liquidated class privileges, and began implementing reforms in the conquered territories. This forced the Tsarist government to more concessions that followed, though economic power remained in the hands of landlords. The Agrarian Reform Law of 1807 in Prussia became a model. Tsar Alexander I, on 23 May 1816, confirmed the new regulations for Estonian peasants. And three years later, on 26 March, 1819, did the same for Livonian peasants. There were over 1,000 manors and about 60,000 farms in Estonia in the first half of the 19th century. Grain remained the primary income for the manor. However, the manor economy based on statute labor could no longer compete on the European market. 
the decline of grain prices in the 1820s to 1830s reduced the landlord's incomes by a remarkable extent. To increase incomes, fields were enlarged and farms sometimes entire villages were manorized. The new fields required an additional workforce. Thus, the landlords had to raise the rent again. Such a way of management exhausted the farm economy beyond all limits, creating insecurity and indifference among the peasantry. More enterprising landlords studied the possibilities for new sources of income, such as raising sheep for wool, breeding dairy cattle, and cultivating potatoes and distilling spirits. However, only a small group of landlords showed any interest in agricultural innovations. Most continued to push along in the same old way, squeezing the last resources out of the system of statute labor. Self-Governance of the Peasants Up until the 19th century, the manor, an administrative unit that included the lands of both manor and village, played a central role in organizing the everyday lives of peasants. At the beginning of the 19th century, the rural community, the self-governance of peasants as a social class, started to develop in parallel with the manor. Peasant regulations of the early 19th century enabled the establishment of parish courts. The courts consisted of three members, one nominated by the landlord, another elected from amongst the farmers, and the final from amongst farmhands. These courts dealt with mutual disputes and property claims among peasants, as well as manor duties and minor violations. In the 1820s, parish courts were renamed community courts. Common responsibility for the common granary also united the community of peasants. This was a supply of grain from which the peasants could borrow in an emergency. To keep a supply of grain, peasants had to build a granary and contribute a certain amount of grain a year. Both the communal granary and the grain were the common property of the peasants, and landlords only had the rights to supervise. Relief for the poor was also the task of the community. The community supported its members who were unable to work or were destitute. The latter were usually sent to so-called rotations, going from one farm to another where they were given shelter and food for a couple weeks. Later, special community poorhouses were built. The abolition of serfdom also required a more clear-cut definition of such self-governance as it still depended heavily on the landlords after the 1816 and 1819 peasants' regulations. For example, landlords convened the community's general's meetings and sanctioned all decisions. Heads of communities who were parish elders, with assistance in Estonia and two church wardens in Livonia, were elected from amongst the peasantry. These officials had to be approved by the landlord, who also had the right to dismiss them. Besides, the landlord maintained policy authority over the community. The self-governance of peasants was freed from nobility control as late as 1866 with community reform.
In the 19th century, the peasantry was divided into manor and village folk. Among the latter farmers who actually managed the farm but had to fulfill manor duties were central. The heads of the farm worked with tenants of the fields of the manor performing the labor dues. There were also cottagers who owned a small piece of land and a cottage on the outskirts of bigger farms. Their labor force was used at farms for urgent seasonal work. Manor folk formed a socially and economically prominent group among the peasantry. These people received their subsistence from manors, with some acting as enforcers, such as overseeing sockagers, bailiffs, etc., and others as artisans. By the middle of the 19th century, farmers made up about 40% of the total population of peasants, followed by tenants at 30%, cottagers at 20%, and manor folk by 10%. The community was also responsible for the, for the fulfillment of the obligations of peasants. This was based on a system of mutual observance. Labor dues, which were divided into regular weekly dues and extraordinary labor services required for seasonal work, continued to be the primary manner obligation. The fulfillment of labor dues was calculated in so-called harness days, when peasants went to manor fields with draft animals and inventory, or in foot days. Various natural duties and taxes in favor of the manor became additional to labor dues. From the middle of the 19th century, the gradual transition from labor duties to monetary rents began. Among state obligations on the peasantry, the head tax and conscription were the most important. The head tax was introduced in Estonia in 1783 with the original tax rate at 70 kopecks for each male individual. However, the head tax gradually increased by more than fivefold, and poorer peasants had great difficulty paying it. Usually the landlord paid the head tax for peasants, but of course in demand for additional labor or other duties in return. State peasants, most of which lived on Sarama, paid their head tax themselves. The obligations of state military duties, conscription, or so-called blood tithe, was established in Estonia in 1796. At first, conscription was carried out without rules. In those days, it was literally a manhunt, called in folklore as conscript abduction. Later, in 1816 in Estonia and 1829 in Livonia, a system of drawing lots was introduced. Farmers, school teachers, and community officials were exempt from conscription. In Livonia, peasants could exempt themselves for life by paying a special fee, starting in 1819. At first, it was 300 silver rubles, increased to 1,500 later. Peasants of North Estonia gained this right as late as 1861. The community was also obliged to supply conscripts with money, provisions for the journey, and clothes. The landlords could punish insubordinate peasants by sending them off for conscription. 
During the era of conscription from 1797 to 1874, about 100,000 men were conscripted into the Tsarist army. The majority of them never returned to their native land. In addition to conscription, peasants had to serve in militias during wars. The wars from 1806 to 1807, the War of 1812, and from 1854 to 1855, as well as fulfilling their manner duties such as accommodation, provision, and transportation of troops. Every year, various community duties had to be fulfilled as well. For example, road maintenance and building communal granaries and schools. Road maintenance obligation usually involved fixing roads every spring, as each farm was given responsibility over a certain length. Peasants also had to pay church dues, from which the maintenance of the entire church organization was derived. So this is where we will leave our timeline for today. When we meet next time, we're going to take a look at a couple peasant rebellions, one in the south and one in the north middle of the country. It's called the Matra Rebellion. I have a coffee mug from the Matra Rebellion, and it was broken on the way home, which was much like the rebellion itself. So I look forward to that. And if you have any questions, you can reach out to me at sparsleyw at gmail.com. So until next time, Nagamisini.